Hi guys, it's Annie McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's episode, both myself and Ben Ashworth will have the privilege of chatting to Raf Brandon. Raf has enjoyed an extraordinary career this far, with 12 years at the English Institute of Sport as Director of Performance Solutions and Head of Strength and Conditioning during his time there. He's also been the Head of Science, Medicine and Innovation at the England and Wales Cricket Board, the ECB. Raf is currently working for Breakaway Data as their Head of Performance Science in Europe, and will focus today's conversation mainly on his current activity supporting teams and athletes with data and technological solutions. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyse neuromuscular strength, performance and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyses them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. Informed Performance is a proud partner of HUMAC Norm by CSMI. By using the HUMAC Norm isokinetic system, you can see what you are treating. An isokinetic test measures maximum muscle capacity through range of motion. So when you're comparing an athlete's involved sides results to their uninvolved, this system makes it easy but objective to see where strength deficits exist to help you design a very efficient path to function. Then follow-up testing on the machine will confirm if your athlete or athletes are on the right path or if changes still need to be made. To learn more about the new HUMAC Norm and their refurbished machines, visit humacnorm.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Annie McDonald, and Ben Ashworth. And here is today's episode with Raf Brandon. Raf, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And also, uh, Ben Ashworth is, is joining us too. Thank you very much, Andy. Lovely to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Just to um, just kind of kick us off, just in case there's any listeners tuning in and this is their first encounter of you, could you kind of break down what your background is? Sure. Yeah. Well, I um, I was a strength and conditioning coach um, originally, practitioner working directly with athletes, various sports, team sports environments, and uh, and then mainly in the Olympic world and and in that world mainly in athletics. Worked with the Great Britain athletics team, um, and through that experience, um, did a lot really in terms of trying to uh, gain our understanding in the English Institute of Sport environment that I was in on joining up. The, the programs and the practitioner support. So it was all aligned to performance. And I think uh, so that sort of integration theme has really um, been a real principle of mine in terms of how I went about my job and then how I then ended up leading others. So then I ended up leading performance services at the English Institute of Sport, which has uh, actually just recently been named the UK Sports Institute. Um, and then I went on to be the head of science, medicine and innovation at England Cricket for the ECB. Um, and uh, had a lot of fun there, and that was a good time. Yeah, and then recently I've been a consultant, um, sort of helping sports teams and organisations out with reviews and strategies and, and audits and things like that, but also I've been, become sort of specialised in the data space. And I suppose what was happening in my most recent roles in, in, in leading um, sports science and medicine and innovation services, it was becoming more and more data essentially and more and more technology orientated so now i'm working for um for most of my time with a specialist um sports data company called breakaway data and i'm helping those guys out um 
build the product and build the business as well. So in, in essence, kind of what is what is breakaway data and um, is, it, is it more team driven? Is it more individuals? Uh, yeah. you from? Fundamentally, breakaway data is an athlete performance data company. And uh, the mission is to make athletes uh, make data better for athletes and the people who support them. So that can be their teams. It could be an individual practitioner. It could be, um, a, you know, um, a, a private support team that people have depending on the sport. But um, yeah, a, a direct um, to athlete uh, data insights and, and data company. And I think what we're doing is we're solving three quite important problems. The first problem is in the team sports and the technical sports space, I'm talking basketball, I'm talking football, soccer, American football, you know, the two different types of footballs, the rugby's, the crickets, uh, in those uh, and in your tennises and your, and your um, golf, those kinds of sports, there's lots of different data sources, train data sources, um, athletes are, are, are dipping into the fitness wearable space. Then there's match data, uh, data that your teams might hold on you, data that you might um, produce it yourself. So I think the problem number one is data's all over the place. We're bringing it into their mobile phones and, and giving it to them so they can take it with them from coach to coach or team to team, but also so that they can they can start to engage with their own data. I think then the second problem, which spins out off of that, is that we can connect athletes to their support teams, to their teams that maybe employ them or to their coaches or their physios or the people that we work with. And that's regardless of time zone or location or whether you've got the budget to have somebody with you all the time or not, um, if you're an individual athlete. So I think that's that's really important. And then that that enables also like two-way data flows because now you've, you've essentially got, it's not just the team and the athlete potentially, it's the team and the athlete and a third party, like another team, a loan club or a national team or um, a, an external specialist. So I think that, that also solves that problem. And then and then what Breakaway is also trying to do is bring some performance value. So that'll evolve in time as the, as the company expands and we aggregate more data and we can generate insights, but we're also bringing things like quarterback biomechanics or um, I've been working on, for example, um, match and tennis specific intensity metrics from GPS devices, things that make um, that will resonate with athletes that will help them improve their performance and, and give them insights about themselves and, and what they need to do to um, to optimize. And you're obviously very involved in the, the, the company you said in sort of like a product design, um, or you have a product design influence from your background in performance. How much do you consult with the, the teams or the athletes themselves on sort of helping them uh, realize what data would be useful to them. Yeah, and that's, I suppose that's a good way of describing what I'm trying to do is we're at the same time as building the, 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 the initial business and myself and uh, Ben Smith, uh, who's formerly at Chelsea Football Club, we're kind of, the, we're kind of building the international sports, the non-American sports, so your, your football, European football, tennis, rugby, cricket, golf, those sports. And uh, I guess what I'm focused on is trying to engage with athletes, engage with practitioners like Ben, uh, engage with the sports and the teams themselves, understand what they need, get those early adopters and then start evolving the products. And and then with that feedback loop, then our products start to improve and we learn what people really, really understand and, and what they want. So yeah, the goal would be for, for a sport like tennis or a sport like football to have a really good product fit that then uh, meets the needs of the athletes and uh, the people that support them. Um, and yeah, conversations with data, um, and I'm probably very guilty of uh, feeding this, can get very uh, nuanced or very um, or very broad, conversely, as well. Mm. You'll have no doubt seen 
trends and change in kind of our technical capabilities around what we can do um, as coaches, clinicians, sports scientists. Um, I guess in terms of like first principles, what triggers you to want to collect data um, when you're in a performance setting? And I know that's a re- it seems like a very simplistic question, but I'm sure there's a, yeah. a number of ways we can go. No, it's a really important question. And because and I'm old, I remember having paper diaries. <laughs> um, so at the end of the day, I think you can't get away from the fact that athletes need to keep a training diary or there was a, or the need is, is maybe to value a term, but athletes would benefit from logging, recording and monitoring data and understanding how that links to their performance improvement. So in the yeah, as I said, in the old days, that was you know that was a, a pen and paper diary. These days, the the issue is 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 now not about what data you can collect, but like making sure that you synthesize it and aggregate it and then create meaning from it, so you can make good decisions and uh, and and get some signal from that data rather than just noise. Otherwise, you actually might as well go back to the to the paper training diary. So to expand on that a little bit, I think you you've actually got four kind of broad brush categories so that's maybe the most basic reason to collect data is you want to improve on something specific and then you might track it so the example i was just a simple example i was thinking of um you might be doing a one-legged calf test or something left versus right because the goal is to make sure we've got good symmetry between the left and the right side and um you know the kind of work that ben does with the with the valve system and the, and the shoulder testing and all that kind of stuff. That is, that is you, you're, you're, you're tracking something to make sure that there's, there's a specific change. Um, the next reason, maybe a level up slightly broader, more macro, is you're, you're going to profile an athlete or you're going to profile a team and then you're going to use that to design your program. Um, and that's where, if I think about the work I've done and, and when you get the opportunity to do this to a high standard, it can be really, really powerful. So I worked with individual athletes and and then also with with the teams where we really got stuck in did some really good profiling you get then a really good picture of the neuromuscular the physiological the psychological and the technical capabilities you join it up that integrated piece i was talking about in the intro join it up with what they need to do to perform on the field and then you start then you can then you can design a program and and i think that's it's kind of hard to do well and it's hard to do regularly i know um I know people in in the football space doing private work with players that are in teams and that they're doing this quite professionally and on an ongoing basis just to make sure that the player is in the right space. So I think it is really powerful if if it's done well. Um, So that's really interesting. Um, Then the the third reason is you might want to learn something new. So a little bit of a project-style approach to collecting data and then as a result of learning something, you make a change. You might not you might not then carry on with the data. So I've got an example from one of our current breakaway clients who's a tennis player. They've engaged in kind of collecting a lot of data to just try to work out match-specific intensity and, and, and make sure that how they're preparing and the drills that they do and the kind of sessions that they're working with typically are in the right space to prepare and be ready for matches. And, and so that is, having done that, they're making some changes and then doesn't necessarily mean they need to do the data every day from now on or keep using those devices, but they've they've got what they want out of that um, and they've made that change and then they kind of dip in and out from that point forward. And then the final one, which is maybe where most people assume it is, 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 is monitoring. And the reason you monitor is then to make decisions and then to make adjustments. 
Um, and that and that's can be quite um, quite on a sort of small level, or it can be quite comprehensive and wide reaching. And again, I think the 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 more you can get player engagement, and the more you can get an athlete to understand why you want to do that and what it gives you, the more power you potentially have if you can if you can create that really comprehensive monitoring piece. This this might be a bit of a curveball to kind of go full circle to where you started then, but. Um, I mean, I remember about 10 years ago, I worked in a setting where we didn't have the the provision to give athletes uh, wearables and things that would give us, you know, sleep data and things that we're kind of used to currently. Um, but they had a paper style um, performance journal where they would log how well they thought they'd slept, performed, lifted, whatever the uh, training or sport was. Are we losing any... Um, any benefits from a paper system. And what I mean by that is our athletes were very reflective because they had to be, because everything was pen to paper with a sort of a tech system where we get more outputs um, in the numerical form. Do we lose any of that sort of internal thought process and athlete reflection? You, you potentially do, but I think the, the way to flip that is to try and use data collection and data feedback as a conversation starter as a way of um, triggering uh, and adding to day-to-day uh, -day, uh, conversations about loading levels and um, training content and uh, recovery practices, et cetera, et cetera. So I think data collection will never replace conversations and, and human interaction. And I, and I speak to a lot of uh, coaches and trainers who they're quite comfortable with, with the contact time that they have if they're an embedded practitioner or if they're with somebody full time, that they that they can get most of what they need through conversations and discussions, but then they, then they need specific things from their data, and I think that's I think that's okay. Um, but but what what you potentially miss out on if you don't collect data and you're not systematic is you miss out on that ability to be that applied scientist, and I think that's really that's that's the power of of what we have available to us now with good computing and mobile technology and the ability to aggregate all different sources of data is you've got the, you've got the opportunity to be an applied scientist out in the field all the time. You've got the opportunity for each athlete or each team that you write a program for is a, is an N equals one case study scientific experiment. Um, and I think that's really exciting. And that, that's, that's the opportunity that I think people can, can potentially try and grasp. So it's basically taking what could be just basic sports science physiology monitoring to like a comprehensive hypothesis testing feedback system for your programming and your performance enhancement. So another thing to consider when we're thinking about the opportunity to be uh, a live applied scientist with the athletes and uh, the teams that you're writing programs for is, is this, com this idea that I've pitched in terms of comprehensive monitoring. So if you've got the combination of your performance data, plus you've got the combination of workload data, which is abundant, and there's, there's, there's loads of workload data around, that's essentially your dose, right? This is like, what have you done? What's your stimulus? Then there's the response data. And that's less obvious and possibly, you know, untapped potential because perhaps it's not marketed as well or it takes a little bit of effort to know exactly how to do your HRV or exactly how to do your jump test in the right way to get to get what you need from it in terms of the meaning and, and the, the reliable signal. 
but but that that those kinds of response either on the acute fatigue side or the chronic adaptation side that's really important to building up your picture and then finally and this is becoming more and more easy with the wearables if you have good engagement with your athletes and and potentially the conversations but then codifying those conversations into into metrics you have the individual athlete context data how they've slept their energy levels whatever it might be um, and you know there's debate out there in sports science whether we, we should go with these validated um, multi-question constructs or whether single item you know made up questions is is equally valid I, I'm not sure that matters and I, I don't want to go down that that in this conversation but I think the point I'm trying to make is is if you've got something that represents performance you've got something that represents workload or the stimulus you've got you got something that represents response and you've got something that represents context then you've got everything you need to make a decision so imagine you don't have the context data imagine you've got plenty of workload data you know how you're working with a, a team and you know how many meters they've run on a day-by-day -day basis you've got the like the high-speed metrics or whatever that you think are intensity and important for injury prevention and, and managing load you've got but you're not you don't actually have any response data you're not tracking then your muscular system or whether their speed profile has changed or potentially you, you had an endurance marker from pre-season but you haven't had one since and perhaps you might be dark to the personal context because it's 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 hard work or it's tricky culturally to keep asking players to to self-monitor you're potentially making a decision on performance just off workload alone and and you don't know the you can't truly make a conclusion from workload alone as to whether the workload is having the positive or or not positive effect until you have the response data, until you have the context data. And then, because that's what everyone says about, oh, but you can't use data to make decisions because you need context. Well, you can you can create that context yourself um, through the conversations you have and through your intuitive expertise, but also by completing your data picture. So hopefully that brings that point to life. I think it does, Raph. And I, just as you were talking there, I was thinking back to a conversation we had and you know, I, I was talking to you about working inside an organization and now i'm working yeah. outside an organization often as an external consultant and it it might be in and around rehabilitation and offering extra support so i think that bit about the missing information and the context when you're working externally often you don't always have access to that information you might get some data yeah uh, there, may be, there may be obstacles in the way that don't allow you to share that information in, in a sort of very transparent way. Um, do you see value in what you're doing with sort of opening up that that three-way conversation, if you like, between the team, the the athlete, and the the external support? I think that's that is something that that could be really powerful um, by taking the player-centered approach to data. So so far, most things or almost everything has been built and sold for teams and organizations or for sports scientists or for medical departments, right? Um, but if you think about, um, it starts with a player-centered data product. That means the player has their own database and ID, and then everything connects to that. So um, the data um, accessed um, and centered on the player then feeds back to the team and goes from the team to the player, but that also allows options for the player to choose to share it with uh, other people that they trust and will work with. And that also then in turn gives the opportunity back to the, to the team or organization to get third party data via the player's database. 
So I think I think there's a great opportunity. Obviously, things like the FIFA Pro FIFA Charter of Player Data Rights in in European football, world football, um, are kind of mapping this out. Uh, essentially, that's just sort of taking GDPR legislation in Europe and and making it sport specific. But it really does um, say quite plainly that personal performance data, pretty much of any kind, um, the, the player has the right to the, to access that. It's not about ownership; it's about access. Um, and then when when this data is is generated and and um, stored automatically, basically in a computer which the more and more and more it is, then the player has the right to have that transferred automatically. It's called data porting rights. So I think those data access and data porting rights and a, combined with a player-centered approach really opens up a lot of opportunities. And, I, I'm, and I'm engaging with, with teams that are quite open-minded to the reality of, of, of sharing with external parties, loan clubs, um, private consultants. Um, and I think it could be a new positive way of working, to be honest. Yeah, especially considering the um, sort of trend towards the use of externals, you know, certainly with uh, thinking back to a football context and working within the team, the ability to share information, either, as you pointed out earlier, with, say, international teams or an external practitioner who's doing sessions. Bringing that all together means you've got the full picture. Without it, there's... Often, you know, there's the black hole of why people break down and the accountability piece and a lot of that stuff that you can monitor collectively across the the, the inside and outside the organisation, which was something that resonated with me. And, and what that goes back to, again, is this idea of engaging your athletes with, with their data and giving them feedback rather than just using them as data collection soldiers or subjects. And so um, if you... If you have that two-way engagement and you're using data to educate and, and have conversations, then you're more likely to get stuff back and then uh, and then complete that data picture. So, yeah. One of the things I'm wondering, and I guess you could go down the, the team route or the external practitioner route with this or both if you want, but how do you um, sort of, you personally, or how do you help others define a, a meaningful performance question? Well, I guess that used to be quite a big part of my job um, as, a, as a sort of leading practitioner teams. Um, but I mean, if you take that as an athletic physical performance question, which might be sort of appropriate for your audience, um, is, as I think that's ultimately about, there is, there is an ongoing and permanent positive performance change performance question you're, you're trying to bring about positive performance change or you're trying to make sure that the rehab is successful um and and and, and real the key to that then is is understanding uh competition level performance the specificity of those demands um what is a winning level performance or what are we expecting this athlete and this team to be capable of doing uh, and breaking that down and, and having an understanding of that and then basically aligning what you do to that and i think if your data is if your data includes some performance outcome measures um that are because no no scientific experiment would have would, would run without an outcome measure yeah the, the dependent variable if you like so in sports in applied sports our defend our dependent variable is your on field or on court or in arena performance and sometimes that's hard to directly measure so then we take sort of proxies for that so, so it might be physical performance metrics from tracking systems or 
or it might be a subjective opinion from a coach. But um, the, the key to it is making sure that you've got some way of assessing and evaluating, quantifying the competition-specific performance, knowing the build, the key building blocks of that competition-specific performance, and then aligning your data collection and your, your programming to that. For practitioners that are working with data routinely, uh, and earlier you mentioned uh, sort of signal v noise, what are the kind of considerations that you make or suggest to people? So if we, if we take this monitoring theme and the, the monitoring purpose for data, monitoring therefore means you make better decisions or better adjustments of your programming. And then we've kind of expanded that into kind of performance enhancement and, and putting a real complete um, data picture together. And then we've spoken about like engaging your athletes, which is obviously one of your practical considerations. I suppose your next consideration is um, making sure you do make a good decision or, or, or choose not to make a decision based on based on what you're monitoring and what that what the combination of that data is telling you so part of that is is having a good handle on meaningful change which is which is a, a, a scientific term um, with with various statistical processes uh, behind it all of the tests and metrics and, and uh, that are available from devices and testing systems and, and things that you will do in applied science and medicine probably have a paper with recommendations on reliability, uh, coefficient of uh, variance and and all these things um, that, that you can look up. But personally, my approach and what we did at, at England Cricket was try to establish individual bandwidths for the metrics that we were using for each of the athletes. Um, and I think if you've if athletes are operating mostly within their bandwidth and you, you know what that is, then you it's, it's, it's first doing homework and it's first sort of sitting on data and establishing those bandwidths and those norms, not reacting to it, not making a decision, assuming it's it's all signal and noise until you, till you start to gain confidence in what your signal to noise ratio is. Um, and then if you want to do, um, you know, best practice, you can, you can then maybe get into... In our context, with this athlete subject pool, um, at this at this level with these tests, what are our own coefficients of variation? And maybe on an individual level, one of the projects we did do it at England Cricket, which was very successful with the fast bowling group, and I say successful in terms of athlete engagement, is we basically did n equals one for all of them on our on our accelerometry GPS metrics that we were doing with the fast bowling delivery action. So we had run up speed and we had peak rotation and um, impact forces during the delivery stride and, and, and things like that. Um, and each player knew then that if they were being monitored and tracked, especially in a return to play scenario, it was based on their bandwidth, their their coefficient of variations. And I think that's the way to go, uh, to be honest, in an applied context. Uh, if you're doing a PhD, obviously it'd be slightly different, but in an applied context, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, I think that's um, it's really nice. Uh, nicely well thought out stage of people coming into a process and you know they may not be starting this monitoring system at the moment so you can't go straight for this n equals one you go through the stages of almost building intelligence um, and then gradually narrowing the focus down to the n equals one by building information and we, we did that at arsenal with some some data some lower body data we first did an external validation so we looked at what the literature told us normal normal looked like and maybe some industry standards. But of course, then you've got your individual athletes, outliers and different bandwidths. And then eventually over time, we 
as we built more data points on them, we were able to then establish what the, the N equals one looked like in a central midfielder's hamstring strength score two days after a game. Um, but that process took us about three years. So it's not, it's not yeah. an overnight process, right? And then the other thing, just quickly, for, for practitioners to consider is with, with the availability of the devices and, and things, you do need to understand your device as well. So, you know, reading a paper on coefficients of variation of a of a heart rate variability test I'm going to pick, like that 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 is definitely going to be different f- between a WHOOP versus an Aura versus um, a PPG test, you know. So I think... Um, I think that's that's important too because every every device that comes with software and systems that give you feedback will have their own filtering, averaging, smoothing, et cetera, et cetera. So you basically need to do your homework, I think, I'm afraid to say. There's no shortcuts. Raph, obviously tech is changing and sport's always changing. Is there anything uh, in the pipeline for what you're doing now or any sort of developments that you're keeping your eyes peeled on? Uh, well, I think I think sport isn't always changing, and the athletes have to train, they have to recover, and then they have to perform. So uh, there is there is what we're, what we're doing is incrementally adding knowledge on on how to do that in a, in a, in a, in all these individual sport specific contexts. Um, high, perform- high performance environments share a lot of commonalities, but then there's always the in- the specific context. So I think what I'm interested in is is looking out for not just new data, but how to synthesize that data to, so it's meaningful, as we've been talking about um, just now, so that people can make better decisions, better programming choices, better return to play programs. So sometimes that might be a new piece of information from a new device. Um, but 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 I think ultimately well, well, what I think needs to happen is people need to learn how to synthesize it. Um, and tools that can do that, I think, and 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 the ability to create uh, things that are intuitive, that make sense to athletes, players, and coaches, as well as the kind of you know the science and medicine community, I think, are going to be really valuable as well. So yes, it's valid science. Yes, it's really good tech, um, giving you proper numbers. But but it's like it's it's understandable, and therefore I can make a decision off this, and I can change something. That's what I think is is most important in the near future. And where can people find both you personally as a professional and then also uh, Breakaway as well? Um, well, I'm, I have a LinkedIn page, um, Raphael Brandon, um, and um, Breakaway has got a breakawaydata.com website if you want to find out more. Yeah, And we have a, we have a, a blog, a blog open field uh, section with some, with some interesting articles and, and you know, various activity on sort of both sides of the Atlantic. So uh, that's worth checking out. Brilliant. Well, we both, both. I'm sure Ben will as well, but we both really thank you for your time and uh, coming on and, and giving us a an in-depth and also 30,000 foot view of, uh, of what you're doing with data. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Raph.